John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Right in the middle of a discourse of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking to his uh, disciples, his followers. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The word of the Lord. Everybody gathered here this morning and is in pursuit of something. I don't know exactly what all of you are pursuing each day. Some of you are pursuing a promotion at work. Some of you are pursuing a college scholarship. Some of you are pursuing a quicker retirement. Some of you are simply pursuing peace and some relationships. All of us are in pursuit of something on an everyday basis. And a lot of us are pursuing different things. But there is one thing that's driving the pursuit of all of those things. And that one thing is something that all of us have in common. We are actually all pursuing the exact same thing. I would argue this morning that everybody woke up, and everybody will wake up again tomorrow, pursuing happiness. I don't know anyone that wakes up in the morning and says, Today, I'm going to go after sadness. Today, I am going to pursue depression with everything that I have. Everybody is in pursuit of happiness. Everybody is in pursuit of being in a state of gladness. Every human being. It directs all of our decisions. It's why we choose to do certain things, because we believe if we do that, it's going to make us happier. We are in constant pursuit of happiness. I would argue this morning that we need to actually elevate our pursuit. We need to step on the accelerator a little bit more. We're actually satisfied a little too easy. That we should go one level above pursuing happiness. Happiness you could consider a momentary thing that takes place in our feelings, in our being, kind of that, that momentary giddiness. That, that's, that's happiness, that circumstances drive. All of us want that, and we want that on a continual basis. Well, what we really want then is we want to be joyful. Everybody here desires to experience joy. And we should actually pursue joy. It's okay to pursue joy. Sometimes I think in our Midwestern false humility a little bit and our Christian niceness, we're like, that's not about us. And I'm not really pursuing my own happiness in this. I'm just looking out for others. When in reality, what's really driving us 
is our own happiness. It's okay to pursue joy. Actually, we should pursue joy. Think of the Bible and how many times it says, Rejoice in the Lord. The book of Philippians alone contains at least 15 to 20 different instances where it says, Rejoice in the Lord. We're supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to pursue joy. And all of us are going to pursue joy. All of us are going to pursue that opportunity to be in a state of gladness. The only question is, what path are we going to take in our pursuit? This morning, there's a carrot for us. If I told you this morning, if I said, what if, what if you did X, you would have complete joy. All of you would go after X. You'd go after X with everything that you have because you want joy. This morning, Jesus is actually just laying a carrot out right before us. He's saying, I want them to have joy. We start with the end in mind this morning. Look with me at John 15, verse 11. Jesus just lays it right out why he's giving this teaching. John 15, verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right there, Jesus is saying, Hey, I'm giving these, this teaching so that they can be joyful. It's it basically Jesus is saying here, I want my followers to experience that which I'm experiencing. And we say the same type of thing when we talk about our children or our grandchildren. Think about this for a second. A lot of times we say what? Well, we want them to have the same opportunities that I have. So it's kind of that thought that we want them to experience what we've experienced. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Is he wants us to experience the state of gladness that he's experienced. Jesus wants you to be joyful. And it's okay to pursue joy. I would challenge you this next week. Find a place in Scripture where the pursuit of joy is condemned. C.S. Lewis argued that the problem was not that we were pursuing joy. The problem is that we are far too easily satisfied. We're far too easily satisfied with momentary giddiness. He argued that we have got to desire for a, a deeper satisfaction, that we've got to enter into deeper pursuit to experience this joy that Jesus wants. Think about that for a second this morning. Jesus wants you to experience joy, and I would argue this morning that everybody in this room wants joy. So we found a match. The question is, will we pursue the path that Christ is laying out for us? He lays out a clear path for us here in John 15 that we should take to experience this joy that he himself experienced. Look with me here in John chapter 15. We're going to look right at the centerpiece of the whole story here, basically the teaching of Jesus. If you look at John 15, verses 1 through 10, what we have here is Jesus giving a description of the vine and the branches, and a lot of the teaching here is descriptive. What I mean by that is it's not prescriptive. There's a big difference between giving a prescription, take X and Y, and you'll get Z, versus describing something that happens. And there's really one central command in John chapter 15. There's a lot of description of what happens if we do follow the command or if we don't follow the command, but there's one central command, exhortation. We find that in John 15, verse 4. This is the first place where we get the command. It says, Abide in me, 
and I in you. This is the first place in the teaching where Jesus is telling us to do something. Everything else has been description of what happens. So you and I are called to abide in Jesus. This is the path that Jesus is calling us to, to what? Have complete joy. And not my, not my words here. I'm not, not my words. Jesus says it right there in verse 11. He's giving us so that we can experience complete joy. And what's the path he's laying out? Verse 4, abide in me. Well, this morning we want to look at what does it mean then to abide in Jesus? If you're interested in joy, Jesus is interested in your joy, we should be extremely interested in what it means to abide in Christ. We don't use the word abide very much. I mean, think about when you're calling home to a friend or you're calling home to your spouse and you're like, hey, I'm going to abide at the store a little while longer. Thing. We, don't, we don't just use that, that word. We say, I'm going to remain at the store a little bit longer. I'm going to stay here a, a little bit longer. So we've got to unpack what does it mean to abide in Christ. Let's look first at the effect of not abiding in Christ. What would happen if we do not abide in Christ? John chapter 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We might think, whoa, Jesus is, just, Jesus is just trying to scare us into abiding in him. When in reality, Jesus is just laying out what actually happens when we don't abide. He's just giving us kind of a, a clear picture of reality because he's using the illustration of the vine and the branch. What happens when you cut a branch away from the vine? It's dead. You're just, all you're doing when I say that, I'm just describing what happens to the branch. Last fall, a couple of buddies and I had this wild notion that we might get into the wood business a little bit and start making some coffee tables and things like that. And so we cut down some, uh, we had some trees, obviously, from the ice storm that we cut down, cut them down. Well, now in my basement, in my laundry room, <clears throat> I've got this nice piece of wood sitting in my basement. Well, guess what? There's nothing growing from it. And it's not being made into a coffee table either because the other two business partners went and got engaged and forgot about the business. But anyhow, <laughs> thing. So, but what happens when you take the branch away from the vine, it's dead. You walk down my laundry room right now, there's nothing green coming out of this branch. It's dead. It's ready to be made into a coffee table if the laborers would ever show up. But when you pull it away, it dies. All Jesus is doing here is he's given us a description of what happens when we do not abide in Christ. That when we are not in Christ, in other words, Jesus is saying, we do not have life. That actually what's happening inside of us, we just wither away. On the outside, you may look good. On the outside, you may actually have a lot going for you. But you're actually withering away. You may not experience the full wither right now. The full wither may ultimately come at the time of punishment that Jesus describes here by the branches being tossed and burned. Again, it's not a threat from Jesus saying, hey, produce more fruit or I'm going to cut you down. Jesus says, this is just reality. If you do not abide in Christ, this is what happens. In the Gospel of John, the word life is used a lot. In the, in the Gospel of John, it's used in the sense of, he says, those who have Christ have life, but those who don't are dead. Well, if you look at it in your own, that doesn't make sense because they're actually living, yet the, the author says they're dead. Because when the Bible's talking about life, it's not just talking about the quantitative state of 
actually live in. It's talking about a qualitative state. Basically, the author is arguing, yeah, they've got breath, but they really have no life. And that's the implication that Jesus is drawing out here in, in this John chapter 15, basically saying those who do not abide in Christ, they just don't have life. They're going to wither away, and ultimately the picture is, the picture is as bad as it gets, burned, thrown into the fire. Very consistent with other images that Jesus gives for those who are outside of Christ. An eternal life of condemnation. The implication of not abiding in Christ is no life. Qualitatively now, but also quantitatively in the future. But Jesus does not seek for us to wither away, but rather Jesus seeks for us to abide in him so that we can experience that joy, have that complete joy. What does it mean then to abide in Christ? There's three things I want to look at this morning of what it means to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ, the first part of it is, is to trust Christ. Let's want you to look with me at John chapter 5, so you don't just think I'm spewing ideas here. John chapter 5, verse 38, helps us get a picture of what Jesus kind of had assumed of what it means to abide, how the word abide is used in other places in John. John chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders here, and in this verse, we've got the word abide used. It's the same, exact same word that's used in John 15. John 5, verse 38. Jesus says, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So what we want to understand here is when Jesus says that they're basically not abiding in him, they're not abiding in his word, why? For that answer, we look at the causation clause then at the end of verse 38, that for statement tells us why they're not abiding in Christ. And the reason is, they do not believe. So part of abiding in Christ is believing in Christ. If, if the religious leaders would have believed, they would have been abiding. And so if I'm not abiding, I'm actually not trusting in Christ. The word belief is really a personal um, come, trust. For the majority of us this morning, if we took a little poll when we left here, everybody would probably admit that we believe in Jesus. That we believe in a higher power. The question this morning is not, do I believe in Jesus? Jesus even said a couple of different times about the demon. The demons even believed in Jesus. The question is not, do we believe in Jesus? The question is, do I trust Jesus? Part of abiding in Christ is trusting Christ. This is the foundation for a life of remaining in him. Do I trust Jesus? Think of the picture this morning of the illustration that used a lot, the little kid on the ledge of the swimming pool. The kid is sitting there. The parents are, are in the pool. What brings the kid to the point of jumping? They trust their mom or dad. You know, there's the thought, well, they can believe they have good parents, but now to take this step, they have to trust in that mom or that dad that they're going to catch them. Martin Luther, when he was laying out uh, communion, his teaching on communion, and why he was fighting so hard for, for communion in the words of institution, when we always use given for you, shed for you, he was really big on making sure these words for you were included. 
And then right now our first communion students are studying the small catechism as part of their work. And Martin Luther talks about how do you receive communion, the proper way of receiving it. How do you receive the benefits? By believing what you are receiving for you. Because we have to have a personal trust in Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. That's why we say, for you. It's not humanity in general. It's for you specifically that Christ died. Now we have to trust in Jesus Christ. To trust Jesus is to be in a position that says, Jesus knows what's in my best interest. What Jesus says, I will do. Because when you trust someone, that, that, that's what you do. You allow them to speak on your behalf. You also follow what, what they give to you because you trust them. If we are going to abide in Christ, the foundation of that is trusting in Christ. To abide is to trust. And then this trust, brings about something. And we saw it with the kid jumping into the pool. What does the trust do? The trust brings about obedience. The parent is saying, jump, jump. Uh, Okay, I trust you. I'm jumping. Look with me back at John chapter 15. Now we get the second picture of what it looks like to abide in Christ. Excuse me. John 15, the end of verse 9 and verse 10. Jesus says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is one of those spots in the Bible where it can easily pull out where it says abide in his love. We kind of pull that out and make that a little catchphrase. Hey, everybody, come and abide in God's love and and be who you are. God God accepts you. Um, This is kind of one of those popular phrases. Well, abiding in God's love is not just being. Mm, God loves me. It's clearly here. Jesus says, to abide in his love, what do we do? We have to be obedient. We have to conform our ways to the commands of God. If we read on there in John 15, verses 12 through 17, basically begins to unpack this idea that says, if you love God, you will obey God. To abide in Christ is to obey Christ. We have to begin to conform our lives to the word of Christ. Now, this is tough work. Have you ever tried to conform something that's deformed? Maybe you've got a little picture at home. You've got like that four by six picture or something that it got bent out of shape. So what do you do? Go get the encyclopedias, take the dust off of the encyclopedias, put the picture on the table, set the encyclopedias on the picture, because then what's that going to do? Flatten the picture back out. Now, what's the situation though? It takes what? Time. Does it help if I just go get more encyclopedias? I can bring up all how many ever encyclopedias there are, stack them on there, 15 seconds, okay, done, pull them off. It takes time. You've got to let the weight sit on the picture to get it back to the way it's supposed to be. It takes time for you and I to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so what has to happen is we have to saturate ourselves in God's truth so that it begins to form the way we think so that, it begins, excuse me, so that it begins to form how we respond to others. It's going to take a while to chisel all this off. I'm sorry, but you've got a lot to chisel off. I've got a lot to chisel off. We're deformed. We need to be reshaped. And to abide in Christ is to put ourselves under the commandments of Christ and allow that to form us. Because when we trust someone, we obey them. 
And this is a, a process of, of living under the truth of Jesus Christ. To abide in Christ is to, to trust in Christ. To abide in Christ is to be obedient to Christ. To abide in Christ is to persevere in Christ. This is maybe the most difficult of the three. We are not very good at perseverance. Right? It's like one thing to the next. We don't like to sit still very long. We don't like to work in one area very long. We're not very patient. We, we like to get a move on it. But to abide is to simply remain. Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary who really started the mission movement in China. Hudson Taylor had gone to China and he had been converted, of course, to Christ. And so then he went on the mission field. When he went on the mission field, it took him 12 years before he had his first convert where he actually baptized someone. 12 years on the mission field until he had his first baptism. That's a long time. That, that's basically, in a missionary, that's the fruit. That's the fruit of mission work, is the baptism, bringing someone into the church. 12 years. Yet what did he do? He persevered. It just kept on going back, preaching, keeping relationship, keep on building. And that's what we're called to do today, is to persevere. To abide is to remain. One commentator puts it this way. To abide is to continue at an objectively fixed place for an objectively determined time. In simple terms, it really means remaining somewhere for a while. Now, in Minnesota, we deer hunt a little bit differently than you do in South Dakota, because in Minnesota, people actually live there. And so, um, in South Dakota, you go out and just drive and scare deer and drive through the range and all of that. Um, well, in Minnesota, there's not really anywhere to run, so you just hide behind a tree, basically, and you're there all day waiting for the deer to come to you. And I'm talking a very simple way of describing here. Now, when you're deer hunting like that, it does not work to move trees every five minutes. Oh, there's nothing here. Next tree. Nothing here. You got to sit. And you got to be still. And you got to wait. And it is a painful thing. But that's what Christ is calling us to. Not just be out wandering around looking for the next greatest thing, but rather waiting, sitting, being still, remaining with Him, even when it looks pretty bleak. Christ calls us to remain. Because to abide is to persevere with Him. To abide is to trust Him. To abide is to obey Him. To abide is to be sustained in relationship with Him. The illustration that Jesus uses of the vine and the branch takes this to a whole new level. Just think about this for a second. How dependent is that branch on the vine? Completely dependent. A hundred percent dependent. If the vine stops bringing up nutrients, what happens to the branch? Gone. What can the branch do? <clears throat> Mr. Vine, could I make my way down to the roots through you? The, the branch is completely dependent upon the vine. But what else is going on with the branch? The branch has what? Part of the vine in it. The nutrients coming 
from the vine into the branch. Think about it. Now, this is how Jesus is talking about us and him. That we're connected to him like a branch is connected to the vine, that we are supposed to be so close to him that actually we are experiencing him in us. And that's actually what he says in John chapter 15, verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you. That Christ does not just pass off nutrients from a distance, but rather he seeks to come and abide in us, to live in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not left alone, but rather we are grafted into him. He in us and us in him. The pathway to joy this morning is through abiding in Jesus Christ, which is through trusting in Christ, obeying in Christ, persevering in Christ. And you might say to yourself, well, we hear this every Sunday, trust and obey, right? We grew up singing the hymn, trust and obey, for there is no other way, trust and obey. So, I mean, this is all, this is, we do this, right? So how can we actually live this out? How can we live a life of trust, obedience, and perseverance? I would argue it really comes down to community. The reason the majority of us cannot live on this path and experience the joy of this path is because the majority of us are unwilling to live in community with one another. Find me a tree somewhere that has one branch on it. What happens to a healthy tree? A healthy tree has multiple branches. You and I were not created to be alone. We look back in Genesis, the first thing that God said was not good was when man was alone. We are created to be in community. Multiple times when Jesus is talking and the New Testament writers are talking about what's happened to you and I as Gentiles, non-Jewish people, it's talking about us being grafted into the people of God. It's not just, oh, hey, it's Jesus and me hanging out at the beach. We've been created to be in a community. And when we're not in that community, we begin to suffer. The question this morning on a very practical level is this. Are you in community? And there's really a couple of things. Does someone know what's causing the most stress in your life right now? Does someone know what brings you a great excitement. Does someone know a temptation that you regularly battle with? Does someone know some sin that you've had to confess? If you've said no to all of those, you're not in community. You're in a Facebook relationship. We're not called to be in Facebook relationships where we can just kind of pick and choose, tell what we want to tell, hide what we want to hide. We're called to be in community with one another. That's why it says in James. It actually says this in James. Confess your sins to one another. Right? We think of this confession thing as, that's between them and God. Let them take care of their business. It's just not true. It's because we're part of a community. If we want to experience this life of abiding in Christ, if we want to experience this complete joy that... God promises to us, we have to enter into community. Because you know what? As long as it is called today, 
Sin is at work in you and in me. So therefore, in the book of Hebrews, multiple times it talks about, as long as it is called today, there's sin deceitfulness. So therefore, encourage one another, exhort one another, as long as it is called today. All of us need outside voices, outside support that come along and says, keep going. Yeah, it looks rough right now, but Jesus says this, because our inside voices are just telling us all sorts of stuff. We need an objective, outside voice. We need community. This morning, Jesus has laid the ultimate carrot before us. Joy, complete joy. And he said, here's the path. It's a path of abiding in him. And if we want to live on this path, we can do it by living in community with one another. We look at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. There's a very interesting statement there. It says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. <laughs> now, I might be pushing the envelope here a little bit. But it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We usually think of it this way, right? Jesus went on the cross because he loves me. What if Jesus went on the cross? Because it was the only pathway to joy. And Jesus was in passionate pursuit of joy. And Jesus' passionate pursuit of joy led him to the cross. Because it's through the cross that now you and I get to experience that same joy. Look with me at John chapter 15, verse 3. What is it that allows us to be a branch on this vine? What is it? John 15, verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Our opportunity to be a branch was not because we were a good branch to begin with. It's because what? Jesus spoke a word to us. That word is this. You are forgiven. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Because through the cross, he earned our forgiveness. Now he speaks a word to us that says, you are mine, you are my child, you are forgiven. And now we get to experience that same joy. The pathway for Jesus to experience joy was a cross. Difficult pathway. But it was a pathway that led to a state of eternal gladness. The pathway for you and I this morning is never promised to be easy. But the pathway does have a promise of eternal gladness at the end. And also gladness along the way as we abide in Jesus Christ. As you leave here today, everybody will leave in pursuit of joy. Everybody here will leave pursuing joy. The question is, which path will you take? Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning acknowledging that oftentimes we have chosen a different path to find joy. We acknowledge this morning, O oh Lord, that oftentimes we have neglected community and therefore we have not persevered, we have not obeyed, we have not trusted. God, this morning we ask that you would reclaim us to be yours we ask that you would speak that word again to each of us to clean us. Lord, this morning I pray for anyone this morning who needs that experience of purity. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to their heart and mind right now that word of forgiveness. 
And Lord, this morning now, I ask that you would move upon our hearts to enter into community with one another. Lord, this morning I ask that you would knit us together in love for you. Lord, this morning I pray in the week ahead that you would enable and empower all of us to remain in you. Thank you for the promise of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.